Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Just before we go to Mark Spector, uh, we were talking about um, apparently somebody is quoting the cult of hockey as saying that Ryan Nugent Hopkins was directly responsible for 17 goals against the last three playoff years. I would find that number to be high myself, and I certainly looked into uh, 2023, and I only found maybe two where you could say, okay, well, maybe you know, maybe there's some responsibility there. Uh, this text comes in saying, Bob, the Cult of Hockey podcast is a two-man show. Have you ever considered having Bruce McCurdy on the show? His insight is as good as David Staples. No. I have not. Uh, Bruce McCurdy does another radio show in town, uh, and we use David. And it's actually a three-guy show because there's another individual named Kurt Levins who uh, writes a piece every Sunday in the Cult of Hockey, and uh, we can't use him because he's with a different radio cluster. So uh, David's our guy. He's just not our guy today. Uh, We'll have uh, Hart uh, Levine coming up today at one thirty-five to talk about some financials on the uh, on the cap. As we bring aboard Mark Spector, Sportsnet Spec. Hello, Spec. How are you? Oh, I'm no Bruce McCurdy, but I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Well, I, yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's it's all good, man. It's it's the way it is. It, it's funny because you have people <laughs> sit there and send you stuff, and they say that Nugent Hopkins was directly responsible for seventeen goals against in the last three playoff years. I'm like. That kind of seems a little high to me, that one guy playing the center, too. Like, you know, like, who do you assign the blame to? I've I've had this discussion with David over the years. I applaud the fact that they take the time to break the film down and to sit there and go. But usually, there's two or three mistakes in every puck that ends up in the net as a rule of thumb. Well, for sure there is. And and you got to know, you know, oftentimes the last guy who's standing next to the goal scorer, everybody blames him, but you're right. There's been two mistakes before that left that guy hanging out to dry. Um, I would, you know, I respect the fact that Dave and his people break down every game on every goal. At least that's what they're doing. They're looking long and hard. Right. They're making their educated assessment on who they think the goal is, but when I hear a stat like that, it's like every stat I hear Bob today, whether it's political or on Twitter or in the news or I want to ask, where'd that stat come from? And prove to me that that's a legitimate stat. Like, numbers, people throw numbers out now, Bobby. And I just, you know what? You can't just throw them out anymore. There's so much disinformation. I want proof, not just some number out of the air. Well, I mean, look what's going on in the States right now. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., I mean, that could be a potential game changer for both parties, frankly, uh, politically. It's just as a total aside, and you talk about disinformation, and he talked about it specific to an issue that we all dealt with over the last three years. All right, Spec, let's get it back on the rails. Back to... Uh, uh, back to Now, here's, here's what I will say. One of the things that, first of all, your thoughts on the... We'll get to it. We'll get to where I'm going in a second. Your thoughts on the first two. I had Vegas in five games over Florida. I'm not surprised they have won the first two games. I'm a little bit surprised that in the fashion that they've won the two games. Uh, but give me your thoughts on what we're seeing right now between Vegas and Florida in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I think we're seeing a legit good team that's been good since the start of the season to the end. Uh, a four-line team that just applies consistent pressure to your defense. And, and and challenges you to withstand 60 minutes of that pressure uh, against a Florida team that, like any eighth-place team, was 
you know, running on a little bit of, uh, there was always a little magic there. Bobrovsky was carrying him through some awful, some, some times when you thought that they could have given up three goals in the period, they were getting out with zero because Bob would stand on his head. Well, guess what? Right? I think that tank's run out a little bit. All of a sudden, it's not zero, it's two or three goals going in. So, you know, I, I guess I'm seeing a, a legit good team against a team that was on a hell of a run, and the team that was on a hell of a run is run out of gas, Bob. Yeah, uh, so we're seeing it the same way. Can you make an argument that we might have been seeing the Stanley Cup final being played when Edmonton played? I know it's Edmonton-centric and a little simple, but the fact is, did Dallas really take it to Vegas in any of those games? Like, the Oilers took it to Vegas pretty good in the two games, and even in games five and game six, Mark, they outshot Vegas 75-53. to Aiden Hill stole a game. The Oilers had some breakdowns and mistakes, which we'll talk about in a second. But does this... If Vegas wins in five, does it perhaps reinforce that the Oilers were right, you know, were damn close to being right? Or is that a stop or you're an idiot, you work for the Oilers' perspective at the world? Well, I think this is great news for the Oilers because I think every one of those Oilers players looks at this thing and says, oh, man, were we close, right? We couldn't get over the Vegas hump, and if we would have, look where we could have been. You know, so sure, it's, I think it's very fair to say that Edmonton gave, this is very legit to say, Edmonton gave Vegas a, a better run than Dallas did, and they're giving them a better run than Florida did. So sure, you could say that, Bob, but, you know, if had the orders found their way past Vegas, we might be sitting in uh, Florida for game three tomorrow night. So this is, if you're going to lose, Bob, you know, if you're not going to make it and the orders didn't make it, this is exactly what you want to happen because this is this is tangible evidence of how close you are and how fine the line is and how if you just dig in a little more and if you play a little bit more responsible hockey and you keep a couple more pucks out of your net, this could be you a year from now. So we've talked about the goaltending and we know, hey, I think both guys will be better for this next year. I am fairly confident that the orders will be okay in goal. Do you look at the numbers the team put up once Ekholm came aboard? They were ninth in the league in goals against. You can make an argument all day in bringing back the pairings. Uh, that said, they got they got scorched five on five against Vegas. And one of the things that I think undermined Edmonton a bit, and I wonder if we're going to see a change to how Edmonton defends Mark in the simplest of ways. Why did the NBA outlaw zone defense, Mark? Why did the outlaw zone defense? I believe it was because they weren't getting enough points. Right, because it worked, okay? Yeah, it worked, okay, it worked. <laughs> it worked, so that's why they outlawed it. So, I'm, so I mean, we, we saw what the Oilers did. They have their two wingers up high on the D and basically played man-to-man with the center and the two defensemen defensively in their own zone. And what Vegas was doing was dragging the Oilers' defense up beyond the hash marks and creating crevices and looks off of cycles that way against Edmonton. And I wonder whether or not we'll see next year an alteration made where you don't chase beyond the hash mark as a defenseman in the uh, uh, in your defensive zone. Because I will tell you, Mark, that teams that played zone defense in hockey always have one defenseman in front of the goal. Because as a rule of thumb, if you have at least one D there, it's harder to score. Okay, because yeah. he can front the puck, or he can, right? Whereas, but if you've got two defensemen chasing their guy around, and the center has a misread w- with one of the defensemen, or the two D have a misread, 
often what happens is you get out man down low and you, you leave your goal. So I'm wondering, what do you think the chance? Because this just isn't like you know Jay Whitcroft's looking at this mark saying how can you know what can we do as coaches to help make the team better as well. What do you think of that? Yeah, I'm sure he was doing the same thing during the series, right? He was looking at it thinking, why is Vegas scoring some goals where they got a guy in front of our goalie who's completely unmanned? So, listen, that's, you know, what you just described, Bob, is is certainly one step in the right direction. Uh, I'm just going to say to you that, that the improvements that need to be made are on a defensive front, whether it's the way you play in your own zone, whether you move to a zone, maybe, you know, do you need different players? You might need a couple different players, but I think more so, Bob. You need the, you could have the same players playing a different, either a different style, a different strategy, or with a different mindset. You know, I, I think they have good players, and I think the players, good players, can figure out how to play defense. You know, there's only like for instance, I would say to you that Yamamoto struggles defensively just because he's 155 pounds. Right. He can't change. He can't change that by digging in harder. He's always going to be a hundred. He's also a one-third buyout. Yeah, and okay, you have limited cap space. Sure, but my point would be this: there's a lot of other guys who have plenty of size, speed, and strength that they could use in a defensive posture to keep more pucks out of your net. However, you want to employ, yeah. uh, deploy yeah. them, Bob. However, you want to deploy them, you deploy them. But those guys need to take that strength and size and use it to keep pucks out of their net and and maybe give up a couple pucks in the other team's net once in a while. Mark, we watched Andrew Cogliano. He played four years for the Oilers. He saw himself as an offensive player. He gets traded to Anaheim, and the first thing they tell him is, on this team, you're going to be a third liner and you're going to kill penalties, and you're going to be a checker. And he carved out a 1,200-game career for himself in the NHL and won a Stanley Cup. He did. So I'm not saying that Darnell Nurse would solely be limited to defending. But the primary job of a defenseman is to defend. And Bouchard's going to be running the play, uh, the power play for the foreseeable future. Do you think, like, do they, do they sit down with Nurse and say, look, we, one of the things they did with Darnell in the World Juniors in 2015 is he was, yep. you're the shutdown guy. Could yep. you foresee a scenario where there's a conversation? Because I know Darnell, he's got pride in his game. He wouldn't like how it went at times for him, the course of that series against uh, Vegas. What do you think? Well, Bobby, you're talking to a guy who said on this show probably four years ago, I don't care if Darnell Nurse gets me 20 points, right? Uh, I remember that, Will Jr., and I remember as it went along, he stopped carrying pucks. He stopped rushing pucks, and he became their shutdown guy. He, he played solely a strong defensive game. And they won a gold medal. And he was a huge part of it, playing tons of minutes to the end. Could that same scenario unfold at Edmonton, where he pulls his horns in a little bit offensively and, you know, and becomes, you know, I'm trying to think of the guy, right? I'm trying to think of that stay-home defenseman. There haven't been many stay-home defensemen that skate as well as Darnell Nurse, Bob, over the right, years. Right. Most of those stay-home guys are stay-home guys because they don't skate so great. Uh, he is big and strong and long and can skate like crazy, if he deployed all of those assets and in a defensive vein, I'm telling you right now, he'd be, the Oilers would be a vastly better team. They don't. I'm saying it again for about the 20th time in about the fifth year, Bob. They don't need 20 points from Darn Oilers. I don't care what his paycheck is. They don't need 20 points from him. Yeah. Take 15 points, give me 82 games in four rounds, 
of awesome, solid defensive posture. Be tough. That's all I need of Darnell Nurse. He could win a cup with that player. Now, some people don't like plus-minus as a stat, but in the last three regular seasons, Darnell Nurse is plus 71. Plus, his is, is even-strength scoring is excellent. Yeah, he's amongst in terms. Yeah, right. So he, he's, but in in the playoffs against Vegas in that series, he ended up minus six, and uh, I think it was uh, one one goal for six against at five on five in the course of that series for Nurse and Cece. Like they had some tough moments. I like Darnell a lot. Um, you know what I'll say, this he makes he makes what he makes. It's. <laughs> I think the fans are smart enough. Like, like here's the thing. This might not be something, Mark, we necessarily see come to fruition in the regular season, right? Like, he's probably going to be capable of putting yeah. 30 to 40 points up and being plus 15 to plus 20 again because I think Edmonton's going to have a decent team. But I think the proof will be in pudding come playoff time yeah. where he, you know, him and him and CeCe, if that's the pairing that's here, they, they're the shutdown guys. You know what I'm saying? Could be. That's, listen, uh, the way the game is played now, Bob, defensemen skate the puck. I mean, we've seen we've seen Brett Kulak. You know, when he decides when he's got an open lane and he needs to get it to center to get it deep, he skates the puck. Darnell Nurse skates can skate the puck with the best of them because he eats up so much ice, right, with his long stride, and he's such a good skater. So you're never going to have a guy that has a wide open side of the ice and stands there at, at his own faceoff dot and passes it. He's going to skate the puck a little bit. But I agree with you. That stuff in the regular season, you know, you're going to go a little more. You're going to help the offense a little more. But when the time is the time, when the playoff series arrives and it's time to win some hockey games 3-1, to one, I want that Darnell Nurse playing defense. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, and one thing i got to say about Kulak, yeah, he can transition the puck through his skating ability. He does an excellent job in closing gaps. That's the one thing that he really yeah. he gaps sure. up pretty well, and that's uh, that's an effective part of his game. Good skaters, right? Like today's defensemen, you you, you got to skate, and then Edmonton has that. They've got pretty good skaters back there, guys that can make up a lot of ground ball. Mark, what's going to happen here for the Oilers? It's interesting. I mean, you, you kind of hit on it earlier when we talked about Vegas. The path was there. The path is going to be harder next year for Edmonton to win the Stanley Cup. Because Chris McFarland's sitting there in Colorado, and they got dealt some difficult hands this year, and they got no secondary scoring at all in their series against Seattle. And, I mean, face it, they were down Kadri, Burakovsky, uh, who was the other one? Uh, got himself taken out of the series in Nachushkin, right? So there's three guys, and Landeskog. They're down four of their top seven forwards from the Stanley Cup run the year before. Is Landisov playing next year? I think there's a chance he could play. Maybe. Nuchushkin's already been allowed to – like, there's no issues there. He will be playing next season. And they have cap space, so they're going to be able to add another forward, and McCarr's going to be healthy. Like, Colorado, it's going to be tougher for Edmonton to make it, like, just because the other division, with all due respect to Dallas, they were nowhere near as good as Colorado was last year. Nowhere near. So, so I guess here's what I'll leave you with. How busy and active? Like, I think it's going to be active out there in terms of the potential trade market because there's limited cap space, and I think there's some teams looking to do something. How active do you think the orders are going to be, Mark? Well, you did see what uh, L.A. did to get rid of Cal Peterson's contract, which is interesting. Um, 
Here's what I think is going to happen in Edmonton. I think I don't think Ken Holland's going to be particularly busy. I don't know what their plans are with Yamamoto. I don't know the answer to that, Bob. Right. Um, I'm not sure how they handle that. I mean, there's a couple options there, and I'm not sure what they do or if they just bring the player back for his last year. Uh, that's a possibility as well. But what I do see, they are not an LTIR team this year, right? Right. They don't need to be an LTIR team this year. So what I do see is, in terms of the big transaction, I probably see Ken Holland kicking it that can sort of down the road to the trade deadline. Me too. Saving some cap space. He's got a good enough team to get him to the trade deadline. He's got to do a couple things here, Bob. He's got to sign McCloud, got to sign Bouchard, got to figure out some things, you know, which defenseman am I going to use here? Like, which guys do I want? Can I spare one? What am I doing? What am I doing with Yam? He's got a few things to do. Uh, Bukestad, Yanmark, guys like that, Costin. But I think he'll give himself uh, a million and change off the start of the season. To accrue. Yeah, to take to the deadline, which is a, about a $4.5 million player or whatever it is, uh, in March. And I think if you're waiting for the big proactive move where you do something like they did with Ekholm, you're going to have to wait till the trade deadline next season. Now, it was interesting. I don't know if you heard Serval yesterday. He's, you know, Batman's talked about 835 at the availability, and Frank wonders whether or not it might actually go up by a couple more than that. There might be a mechanism in place. Just just hold off here before. I mean, because that, that would be a bit of a game changer if it ended up being at about 86, 80, you know, 86 instead of 83 and a half. Well, it's totally in their hands, Bob. The, at, if they only go up a million, I believe they're going to have that, that debt of the PA is going to be paid off like right. around the halfway point of the season or before. Right. There's very little of it left. Eighty-five million left. Yes. Right. There's eighty-five million left. So I think that you could, you know, the league could quite easily say, instead of having that debt retired on November first, let's have it retired on April first, and let's add a little bit more to the cap. Why don't we? Why wouldn't they do that? Absolutely. Great stuff, Spec. Thanks for your time. All right, Bobby. Have a great day. You bet. It's twelve fifty-three in Edmonton. You're listening to Oilers now. We had lots of people texting us on the Ashley Fine Flores text line trying to figure out where Mark Spector was. Some people thought he was using a boat winch. Others thought that he was at a roulette uh, wheel. Where? But uh, you actually knew where he was. Can we go ahead and say where he was at? <laughs> it was on a bike ride downtown, so I think we might have been hearing the sounds of a pedal bike. Is that, was that what it was? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Mark does occasionally uh, ride his bike down to uh, Roger's place. And leave the bike there in the fall and in the spring. Seriously. It's kind of a different thing. Uh, the Oilers Now Injury Reports are brought to you all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. It's this simple. They're the best. That's right. 250-plus years of experience to get you the best results at James H. Brown. Trent Brown. I'm going to see Trent this weekend because uh, the Edmonton Elks are in action. That's right. Who do they got? They got... The Riders coming in? Sunday evening, 5 o'clock, kickoff on 6.30, Chet. Okay, explain to me the Sunday thing. What's the ri- they, So they think they get people back from the lake? Is that kind of what they're thinking of there? Yeah, and- essentially. Or, you know what, you go camping or something like that. Just to, I mean, they're at a point where I think they can pretty much try anything to try. Yeah. And it's not the Elks. It's the It's, it's the, the league. league, yeah. Well, and, and you know they owe a great debt of gratitude to uh, TSN, the network for helping the CFL, and they owe Chorus a debt of gratitude as well for supporting them over the last uh, multiple decades. And oh, by the way, Brendan, uh, is there a new 
Elks Football Network now. Is that correct? It got announced today? Uh, yeah, so essentially we'll have some uh, some stations from around northern Alberta joining us along for the play-by-play journey this season as well. All right, Morley Scott will have the call along with Dave Campbell, Blake Dermott, Brendan Escott's got pre and post, and... Uh, Who's David Bowles running uh, running the sideline stuff? You got this? It. There you, you got go. You. Hey, yep. great stuff. Twelve fifty eight in Edmonton. Brian Lawton's going to break down the three way blockbuster yesterday. Give us his thoughts on the uh, Stanley Cup final as well. He's coming up for Wild wow Factor desserts after a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season 6 of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.